Welcome to the Socialites podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers, innovators and community managers on how they grow and activate their communities online. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome to episode 59 of the Social Lights podcast. I am here today with Chris Field. Now, Chris is CEO and founder of Mercy Project, an innovative not-for-profit working to end child labour trafficking in Ghana, Africa. Outside of his role at Mercy Project, he's an award-winning author, speaker, business consultant, college lecturer, four-time Guinness World Record holder, I will ask about that, viral sensation, 27-time marathoner and an ice cream lover. But his greatest superpower is inspiring people to believe they can actually change the world and then showing them how to join him in doing it. He's married to his high school sweetheart, Stacey, and his father to Micah, Beckett, Lincoln and Theodore. Busy man. He is also the author of A Billion Hours of Good and Disrupting for Good. And I'm so thrilled to welcome you today, Chris. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, Kate, thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So tell me, Chris, in amongst all of that, what is it that lights you up and gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, great question. I have found about myself, I love solving problems. So it doesn't matter you know, if it's a business problem, a nonprofit problem, a social problem, whatever it is, even just in my own life, whenever there's something that feels wrong or off or different than it should be, I find so much energy around trying to create newness, trying to create something better than what exists. Problems just They nag me until I can solve them. I get really fixated, kind of obsessed even when something's wrong and not the way it should be, small or large. It doesn't have to be big stuff only. It's just like, I just want to figure stuff out. And so I think that's what really drives me is getting the chance to wake up every day and over time, learning how to partner with other people to to solve problems at an even larger scale than when I'm trying to do it by myself. Yeah, amazing. Clearly someone who has a grander mission and purpose in life. Certainly. A lot of people with four children say it's the kids that get them out of bed in the morning. So. Yeah, well, the kids, I do wake up before my kids. I'm up pretty early to, to run every day. So usually I'm getting up and running uh, before they're awake. But but after I get home, they're sitting there eating breakfast when I walk in the door at 6.45 in the morning. So then it's go time. Now, tell me about these Guinness World Records that you have. (laughs) Yeah, so when I started the nonprofit to help rescue children from child trafficking in Ghana, Africa, I was like 27 years old. I didn't know anybody with money. I was trying to figure out ways to get attention. It's, It's a competitive world out there with nonprofits. There's some amazing NGOs and nonprofits with huge marketing budgets and celebrities endorsing them and stuff. And I'm just this young guy with no money in Texas. And I'm just like, man, you know, I got to do something crazy to, to get people to pay attention to us. So I gathered some of my friends together and I was like, Hey, let's, let's set a Guinness world record. The media will have to cover it. And we can each get pledges, you know, from other people, just a bunch of small little micro donations. And so I gathered a big group of my friends, about 40 people, and we played kickball for 50 hours straight. 
and raised about $25,000, got a bunch of media attention. So that went so well, it kind of became part of our annual routine every spring So for several years. So we we set the kickball Guinness World Record. We set the uh, longest baseball game Guinness World Record, longest flag football game. That's American football. And then we uh, the we did a running one. Most people to run a one mile relay in 24 hours. So it's just like four laps around a track with a baton, then you hand to the next person. So over those events, we got a ton of media coverage. I mean, we were on some of the bit like ESPN came and featured the the flag football game. I mean, you know, we got a bunch of media attention, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars across those events. And it was a really cool way as a small nonprofit to get a, a bunch of attention that we wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Oh, I love that. I often say, you know, random, weird Guinness World Record yeah. things so, that seem to have no purpose or, you know, reason behind it. So I, I love that. Exactly. It's such an innovative way of, of doing that. So tell us more about your journey in launching Mercy Project. I'd love to hear how that came about. Yeah, so I was reading a book about, it was actually a memoir a woman wrote called Jansen's Gift. And it was a beautiful, a beautiful book about a woman who lost her son to an undetectable heart ailment. And it was... I mean, it was really a tragic story, to be honest. It was one of the most brutal books I've ever read when it came to grief. She was just, she just wrote with a, a real honesty around grief and, and it was really captivating in that way. And we happened to be pregnant with our first baby at the time. And, you know, first time parents getting ready to have this baby, you have so many hopes and dreams for your children and, and I'm a, I'm a communicator. I'm a words of affirmation is my love language. Like I love language. I love the power of words. And so my wife and I are like speaking our hopes and dreams over, over my wife's pregnant belly. I mean, we're like saying literally to this unborn baby, like, you know, when you grow up, we believe you're going to be a woman of justice and mercy. And when you find things that are wrong in the world, you're going to respond to those things. You're not going to wait for other people. Like we're, we have these hopes for your life that, that you'll be that kind of human being. And so we're saying these things to this baby in my wife's belly. And then I'm reading a book. And in that book, the woman, they got some money, some donations came in after her son passed away tragically. And they wanted to do something meaningful with the money. And so she ends up on this kind of circuitous journey and ends up in Ghana, Africa to help these children who'd been trafficked in the fishing industry. And I was just like, I couldn't even wrap my mind around the fact that children were slaves and they'd been sold for $20 and working 14 hours a day. I mean, it was just like, you know, and this was 2009, nobody was talking about human trafficking. Like now, thankfully, we're all very aware of human trafficking, but 12 years ago, no one was talking about human trafficking. I mean, it just wasn't on the radar of almost anybody. And, and I was shocked by it. And so I Googled the author's name. I called her, I asked her if I could go to Africa with her. Showed up three months later in Ghana, went out on the world's largest man-made lake, started meeting these little boys and girls. 
And that was it. I was completely changed. Spent about nine months raising funds that I thought we would give to another organization doing work there and kind of discovered along the way in that nine months that no one was really getting at the root causes of this problem, which was really an economic problem. And so that kind of left me at a crossroads. You know, do I, do I say, well, we did more than most people and just kind of go on with my life. And we had the little baby by that point. Or do, do we double down and, and really try to solve this problem in a sustainable sort of long-term way? And obviously, I chose the second of those two, or I probably wouldn't be on this podcast. So September 1st, 2010, I quit my job and started my first day as executive director of Mercy Project. No idea what I was doing. No idea how to raise money. No idea how to help the kids, but I just had a burning passion to at least do my very best. And, and that was, that was the beginning. So 11 years later, we have 15 Ghanaian employees. Now it's fully Ghanaian run. I don't have any Americans on the ground in Ghana, which was a huge goal of ours. So much Western help, as you know, has really done a terrible job of, of empowering the communities we work in. We can't seem to let go. We have our ideas of how things should be. And and then as soon as we remove ourselves, the thing falls apart. And we set it as a goal from the beginning. As soon as we can hand over day-to-day -day operations to the Ghanaians, we wanted to do that. And we wanted to develop employees from day one that were ready eventually to take over. And so that's what we've done. And we've rescued and reintegrated 201 children back into their families of origin. And all those kids are in school. Many of them, the first person in their family to ever go to school. Some of those kids are like teaching their mom and dad to read by candlelight in the evening. And in those fishing communities, by the way, where the kids work, uh, one thing that's really cool about our process is we've actually taught those communities how to do aquaculture or cage fishing, tilapia. So it actually replaces the need for the child labor. So they actually make more money with the cages than they make with the children. So they actually voluntarily release the children back into their families. So in that way, we've invited those villagers, those slave owners, many of whom were trafficked children themselves. We've invited them to be part of the solution with us instead of part of the problem. And we've really allowed them the opportunity to go on this journey from shame to pride. And it's really beautiful to watch them take ownership and feel proud that they get to be part of breaking this cycle. Even though they were children in that cycle, many of them, they now, because of their courage and their hard work and their vulnerability, they now get to be part of a, a, a solution that will outlast their lifetime. So it's, it's been a really cool, it's been a really cool journey. We've had a lot of fun the last 11 years, been pretty freaking hard too. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, I've been to Ghana about 50 times in the last 11 years while we've been having those four kids and a lot of time away from my family. We made a lot of mistakes, a lot of things I wish I could do differently and things I wish I knew, but, but overall, it's been a great experience. Wow, what a phenomenal story. And there is so much about that model that just makes sense. You know, there's so often I think people desperately want to do something to help. And what you've yeah. done is worked alongside all stakeholders, for want of a better word, in that 
kind of ecosystem and really help to get to that root cause and and find solutions that work for all sides which is just well done that's such an amazing story thank you so tell me Chris what does community mean to you I know you mentioned community a couple of times in there but what does community mean to you and in the context of the work that you do man great question I think for me my passion around community has really really centered on all of us getting more comfortable with what it is that we have to offer. And, you know, when I think back, even on the work of Mercy Projects, I mean, there's truly not an exaggeration. I could point 10, 15, 20, 30 people that without their gifts, without their influence, without their commitment, without their love, without their supports, without their making an introduction to an important person, without their financial support, I mean, without their mentorship of me, I mean, truly dozens of people whose fingerprints are on every single good thing we've ever done. And they don't get to be on podcasts like this. They don't get to be on every trip to Ghana with me, but their impact, the ripple effect, the transformational effect of their impact truly lives beyond that moment that they chose to take whatever they've been given in life with open hands and then to hand that back to the world with the same open hands. And I think we just, we totally underestimate the ways the small moments of our lives add up to make a huge impact, which is the whole premise of my book, A Billion Hours of Good. And I've seen that play out over and over and over in the life of Mercy Projects. You know, so many people would come to me with a, a gift and, and I don't mean financial gift. I mean, that is a part of it, but just whatever it was they had to offer in the moment. And, and they would almost apologize, you know, like, hey, I, I just, you know, I know it's, I know it's, and I'm just like, hey, 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 it's what you have. Like, like br bring what you have. And, and I think especially when we choose to give what we have and not what we have left, I think the impact of that kind of gift can be so, we, we can't even understand it. I mean, truly there's people who in, in, informed and influenced in me, when I started the organization, that there is no way they could have ever predicted the influence and impact I would be able to have through Mercy Project, but they're now part of that story. And that's the beauty of it is that we don't know. Like we, we don't know how the gift that we give feebly and awkwardly and almost apologetically sometimes like we don't know how that gift's gonna be given away a thousand more times in our life. And so for me, community is us believing that we're better together and that that's a non-negotiable, that we're absolutely better together. And that each one of us, every person listening to this podcast, every single one with no exception, I, would, I will go to my death on this, they have something good to give the world. And not when they reach a certain net worth, not when they reach a certain age, not when they finish their PhD, not when their kids get out of the house today. They have something good to give the world today. And, and, and we, we need that so desperately. Like 
Our world is so hungry right now for good and for these little points of light, right? For these, for these little moments for us to, to give what we have and just to say, look, it's not much, but this is what I have. And, and the beauty is that when a whole bunch of people do that collectively, it, it's transformational and it creates a tidal wave of good that, that simply cannot be contained. And so I think that's really become my definition of, of community is um, a bunch of ordinary people choosing that we're gonna, we're gonna receive the gifts we have with open hands and we're gonna give them back with the same open hands. And the gifts we have to give today is not the same one that we'll have five years from now. And it's not the same one we had five years ago. And that waiting game, that moving the goalposts, a phrase we like to use here in the US, that kind of changing the rules in the middle of the game, that's a losing proposition. Give what you have a little bit every day and trust that over time, the impact of that is going to be greater than we could ever imagine. Oh, that's so powerful. And I love that. Give what you have, not what you have left. I mean, it, it makes so much sense, but it's such an easy way to look at how to do that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's amazing. So Chris, I, that's a beautiful definition of community. So how have you created that movement of people, um, you know, that people want to connect with and how our listeners can do the same and to expand their own circle of influence? Yeah. You know, I was just telling my wife this weekend, we were away together on a little holiday for my birthday and we were talking about kind of the next evolution of her, her life. She's been a stay at home mom now for almost 11 years. Our youngest is three years old and he, a couple of years he'll be in kindergarten. And so, you know, I'm really trying to encourage her. She's given so much of herself to, to our children. And it's a beautiful gift and it's a gift she wanted to give, but I'm really encouraging her like to think about this next stage of life. Like what is the gift she wants to give the world? And, and, and in some ways, what's the gift she wants to give herself, you know, and she's been living so, so um, selflessly for for our children and for me by by giving herself in this really thankless you know sort of way there's no accolades there's there's no prizes a bunch of dirty laundry seems to be the the thing she's left with at the end of every day so but but i said something to her that i i I say a lot i think it's it's so true and that is people are desperate for someone with a vision who's willing to sacrifice. And my experience has been, we don't lack money and we don't even lack people to, to, to join. What we lack is courageous leaders. And over and over and over, my experience has been that if, if you've got a well thought out, sincere, life-changing, life-altering sort of idea, and you're willing to sacrifice for it. You're not willing to demand other people pay more than you. Nobody's ever going to care more about your idea than you do. That's the first thing every leader has to understand. So fool's errand to think if you're at a 10 of 10 on caring, the best case scenario, your most passionate people are going to be a seven or an eight. And you just got to understand that. So if you start at a seven or eight, you're going to, your best people are going to be five. So you better, you got to know that going in. And a lot of people act surprised by that, right? They act surprised that somebody else doesn't love their thing as much as they do. It's like that, that's, that's, it's your, it's your baby. Like nobody loves your baby as much as you do. Like, come on. But I have never 
found any exception when you have a well thought out, thoughtful, truly meaningful idea and you're willing to sacrifice for it, people are going to line up behind you because we're all hungry to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Every single one of us. We want so badly. We scroll social media every day, longing to be part of something bigger than ourselves. I mean, we share posts and we comment and we read books and we write blogs and we listen to podcasts and we just, we have this deep yearning. We, we want our lives to matter. We want to do stuff that matters. And that's, that's everybody. It cuts across all socioeconomic status and education level and age and ethnicity. It's just like, we, we want to do stuff that matters. And nobody wants to suck at life, right? Like that's, that's it. Nobody wants to be bad at life. Nobody wants to like, you know what? I, my goal is to get to the end of my life. And everybody says, you know, he's pretty terrible at everything he did. Nobody wants that. No one, no one wants that. And, and so for me, I really believe there's this beautiful opportunity. Like the world's desperate for, for courageous leaders. And so for me, I didn't know this. I mean, I wasn't, this wasn't like some plan I had, but <clears throat> I was always willing to, to, to put myself out there. I mean, when I was 19 years old, I ran for mayor of my hometown and I got third place out of five candidates and I got hired to direct a camp for that same year when I was 19, freshman in college, just finished my first year of college. I got hired to direct a camp for kids who couldn't afford to go to camp. And all of a sudden I'm in charge of 600 of these impoverished youth and some of them are like one year younger than me. I mean, it was crazy, but I was always willing to put myself out there about something I believed in. And, and I got a lot of eye rolls. I got a lot of side eyes, people thinking I was crazy, people telling me I was crazy, people saying I was stupid, whatever, that's fine. But I was always willing to do it. I was always willing to put myself out there. And as I've gotten older, I just turned 39 last week. It's been 20 years now that I've been on this leadership journey since I was 19 and really kind of first put myself out there and never once to this day have I gotten excited about something and really gone for it with without holding back and not had people follow me it's just people want to be a, a part of something bigger than themselves that we just do that's that's human nature I do still I, I I'm I'm desperate I'm desperately looking for great leadership still I, I'm a people call me a leader that's fine I still want leaders to lead me you know, I'm still hungry for courageous leaders, people who tell the truth, people who are vulnerable, people who do hard things, uh, people who reimagine old structures and people who are prophetic and speak truth about uh, uh, injustice. And, you know, I'm hungry for that, just like you are and just like everyone listening to this is. And so I think we over we overplay sometimes like you know, leadership and, and building community, like do, do the right thing, like find that thing that you know is the right thing and chase it like a dog chases a tennis ball and look behind you. And there's going to be a bunch of people behind you. And, and the cool thing is you don't even have to get it right. When those people behind you see that, that you're sacrificing, when they see that you care more than they do when they see that it's costing you more than it does them. And you say, Hey guys, girls, and this was the wrong way. This was, I, I shouldn't have gone this way. I, I know stuff now that I didn't know before. So I'm going to go a different way now. They, they don't go, Oh, are you kidding us? This guy, who is this guy? They don't do it. They go, Hey, we weren't out there. 
So we'll follow. If you think it's that way, we'll go that way. I mean, they're so gracious, especially when you're vulnerable, especially when you're transparent, especially when you're honest about what you're learning, how you're growing, how you're improving. When you and what really, I love about, yeah. if I can just say, what Please. I love about what you've just said too, is you don't have to be tackling human trafficking. This no. can be, I love working with, um, you know, small businesses who have some kind of challenge or problem in their own life and they find a solution to it and then they set out boldly to share that with the world. Absolutely. And sometimes that is business. It's not about dealing with the world's greatest you know, greatest challenges, um, yep. although we all ought to be contributing to that as well. Um, right. but what you're talking about is really meaningful and tangible at a business level as well, not just at, yep. a, at a large scale doing amazing work in the world. Totally. I think it's applicable at just a human being level. Yeah. Right? Like everywhere we go, every day, we have the chance to be these kind of courageous leaders. I mean, every day when we wake up, we get to choose who do we want to be today? And if we didn't like who we were yesterday, guess what? We get to wake up again the next day and choose again who we want to be. And I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that we're not spectators, we're participants. And we sort of feel like life happens to us. Right. And it's like, that's, that's, that's crazy. Like every day we get to choose, Hey, who do I want to be today? Like that, that's a choice. Oh man, I, I didn't do that today. I was selfish today. I was, I was greedy. I was, I, I was impatient. I wasn't kind. I wasn't thoughtful. I didn't, I didn't bring joy to someone around me. Like, okay, well, guess what? Go to bed and do it again tomorrow. And we get thousands, most of us, we get thousands, tens of thousands of those chances. And I'm, I'm just so baffled that we sometimes forget the power we have in our own lives, day to day, moment to moment, to be the person we hope we can be. And we don't have to hope that. We can actually just be that person. And it's a beautiful thing to, to live that out. Even when we screw it up, it's still beautiful because we're making that effort. Absolutely. And as, a, as parents, we get that opportunity on a moment by moment basis. Exactly. <laughs> get to exactly. choose again. All day, every day. So, Chris, when you look at the community that you've built around Mercy Project, can you talk to us a little bit about how that works online, so how you might use tools like social media, and then whether you do anything to kind of measure that impact? Because I know a lot of our listeners are always interested in, you know, community can often be this intangible thing that's quite difficult to measure. And so a lot of our listeners are interested in, how do you actually measure the impact of that community? So there's kind of two questions in there. What does that online community look like for you and how do you measure the impact of that? Yeah, great question. Gosh, I mean, I think you have your vanity metrics, of course, that we know likes and and comments and, you know, you can look at the, you can look at the monthly report and see what your reach was and engagement and all of that. But you know, I think that at some point, I, you know, I have a pretty big Facebook following, something like 50,000 people or something that follow me on my public profile Facebook page. And, you know, at some point you have to ask, like, are the things I'm sharing and the ways I'm communicating and the, the choices I'm making as when it relates to the message I want to be about, is that really resonating with people? And 
you know, those vanity metrics are fine, but at the end of the day, for me, as an author and as a speaker and as somebody who really wants to make a, a difference in the world, it it's when people start coming to you and saying, hey, you know, that thing you said, like I had a guy just email me this week. He said, hey, I finished your book a couple months ago, right when it came out. And I want to tell you what the last couple months have looked like for me because of your book. And he started describing this really hard place he'd been in in his marriage. Uh, he'd been doing some things that weren't honoring his wife. Uh, he'd been kind of, he kind of lost track of himself. I mean, he just kind of COVID had really set him back and not got him in a good mental place. And, and, you know, I have this chapter in the book about doing hard things on purpose and choosing to do hard things and that it's good to do hard things. And he said that like, he just recreated these patterns and habits and systems in his life. And it sucked. I mean, it was not fun, but he just kept reminding himself, like, it's good to do hard things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm flexing a muscle right now that's going to make me better at the hard things I don't choose in the future. And, you know, there's no like, it's not magic, you know, he's, he's still having to wake up every day and make these choices, but he's stacking up these wins on top of each other. And so, you know, for him to tell me that something I wrote mattered enough that it was changing behaviors in his life and it was bringing him closer to his wife and making him a better dad. Like, I mean, for me, that's, that's the greatest gift anybody can give. And so I think if we listen carefully, people will tell us if the things we're doing are making an impact. And I think we'll be able to tell in the ways people look at us, if they're waiting for us, if they're listening for us, if they're wanting us to weigh in on hard topics because they value our voice. I mean, I think that's when we can begin. Those are some of the intangible things that we can say like, wow, uh, I'm not just talking to myself out here. Like people are responding and it's changing their behavior. It's changing their actions. So I, for me, that's become one of the most meaningful things. You know, on the business side, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur as well. I have several for-profit businesses and I actually have a social media company here in the U.S. that's worked with about 100 um, brands as well. And, you know, I think it's not quite that deep, obviously, when it's, a you know, a brand, typically a relationship between a product or a company and its customers. But, but I still think we get that sense of like, do our customers feel a connection to our brand? Like, are we, do people feel like we're coming alongside them in the lives they're already living? and making their lives better or more enjoyable or less painful or whatever that might be solving a problem making them happier making them smile making them laugh letting them create new memories whatever that emotion is i think it's pretty clear if we're really honest if we're creating that sort of delight in our customers and and for most of us we're not i mean we're we're not we're peddling we're peddling the next thing and we're so confused why it's not working. It's like, we're not creating delight in our, in people's lives, you know? And we're, I think not, what you're talking about, which yeah. I love is that 
It's about getting yourself out of the middle of the conversation. We clearly work in very similar ways, but when you can actually get yourself out of the middle of the conversation and stop having that transactional relationship. And the word you used there was listen. You know, if we stop putting ourselves out there thinking so much about getting our own needs met from a business perspective, which is what so many corporates and businesses you know, still do is it's all about how they can use these technologies to get more from their customers. We were talking about that offline. Um, And to truly listen about what it is that our customers want and then you start to hear the impact and you can amplify that. You can, you know, work work on that in a much more meaningful way regardless of what the business is. Totally. And you learn. I mean, that the beauty of it is like, your customers will tell you what they want. I mean, they really will. They'll tell you what they want and they'll tell you what they need and they'll tell you transformation and delight in their lives. And we do these expensive studies and focus groups and, you know, we beat our heads against a wall in R&D and it's like, just listen. Like they'll tell you, like just watch, watch how people are using your product. It might not be like you intended it to be used like, well, that's not what we made it for. Well, maybe that's what we should sell it for because that's how people are using it, you know, and instead of kind of getting our own pride hurt in those situations. So, yeah, I I think that's, um, that's, I got a lot more to say on that that we'd never have time for today. But I, I think the word I love to use is delight. And if we can't, if, if we can't tie back our marketing and our conversations and our advertising to creating delight in our customers, really bringing joy to them and, and, and solving a real problem in their lives, something that plagues them, then we're probably not going to run a very successful business. I feel like that could be a whole podcast episode we might need to do separately. Oh, yeah. There's so much to so much to unpack there. Um, now I know you've had several quite viral posts on social media. What's the story behind those, and how did they facilitate change? Yeah, so I mean, one of them. I mean, I've had a handful of things that have just on my personal social media over the last few years that have gotten, I don't know, three, five, ten thousand shares, something like that. But I had two posts that went really crazy one was right after tiger woods won the masters in 2009 i wrote a short little bit about and i'm not like a huge tiger woods fan necessarily and i'm not even a huge golf fan but just as he hugged his mother off the off the green and his children were there you know i was just reminded of just the power of redemptive stories that I feel like Tiger Woods, that story of his comeback, especially in that moment, it resonated deeply with us because I think it's how we all hope the world will give us a second chance when we're at our very worst. And, but I mean, I, I literally, I was putting my kid to, to nap on a Sunday afternoon. Tiger had just won. I'm sitting there. My kid always had a hard time falling asleep. It's the one that's six now. He was four. He was going to take a nap. So I'm sitting at the end of his bed, just on my iPhone. And I write this post, took me 15 minutes. And, but it was just really timely because he had just won the masters. And it was like, people were trying to find the words of why it felt so meaningful to them. And and I guess I captured it for them. And so I think it was shared like a hundred thousand times or something, you know, it reached like millions of people. 
And then the other one was a little more fun. There's a the an ice cream company here in Texas. It's kind of a southern ice cream company in the south of the United States, and and they're pretty popular. Well, they came out with this new flavor a couple of years ago, and they didn't do new flavors a lot. They're not like a Ben and Jerry's. If your listeners are familiar, Ben and Jerry's always has these wacky, interesting flavors. This company's kind of old fashioned. It's been around a hundred years. So. They came out with this new flavor called Christmas cookies. And it, it was, I mean, it was crazy. Like what it was, was, you know, it was a weird mix of things, but it was just like so ridiculously delicious. And I love ice cream. So I'd written a couple of reviews about other flavors of theirs and people had gotten a kick out of them. I, I wrote them kind of tongue in cheek, but something about this one just, again, just went crazy. I had like almost 70,000 shares and I have a friend that does digital analytics and I had her run a, just a little test or a little, you know, uh, kind of a data pull. And it was the most viral ice cream review in the history of the internet. You know, nobody had ever written a more viral ice cream review. So that was, that was kind of cool. So it was fun. I mean, I think, you know, the reminder is again, I, those are silly, fun things. People, people want to, to laugh. People want to remember, people want to feel, people want to, to, to have purpose and they, it, we want to feel things, we want to care, right? And, and so when you can capture that in a product or in a book or in a Facebook post, people are going to grab onto it and they're going to, and they're going to hang on for dear life because, it's, it's a lantern for them on a, on a dark road. And so I think that there's just a really beautiful, you know, I think we all have that. It's not, it doesn't have to be social media. That's a silly little, little thing. Didn't really change anybody's life, but it, it brought smiles to millions of people's faces that day. And, you know, that day, that was the best gift I had to give the world was a silly ice cream review that would bring a smile to their face and well, I think that's the heart of human to human marketing right and totally. so many people are afraid of getting their message so polished and so perfect that they never do it and that's what right. people really want is that authenticity they want the human behind the business yeah. and or the cause or the community and when people can get themselves again out of the way and you don't have to be an expert and know everything about what it is that you're sharing the world want to hear what you think about it and what your views are on that and yeah, I think yeah. both of those are beautiful um you know examples of where you just shared your own reflection and your own interpretation and it clearly resonated with people because you know your community yeah. and when people it's actually not rocket science you know when people no. can get that that by being human, being authentic and sharing their perception, their interpretation, their version of, of the world that they're, that they're engaging in, then that's truly what people want. And social media and online communities give us unprecedented opportunity to Absolutely. do that. You know, we used to do that at a barbecue with 10 people. Now right. we can do that with a global barbecue. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we get to share what makes us feel joy and what makes us feel sad and what makes us feel hopeful and what makes us feel scared. And we get to share that with now thousands of other people, tens of thousands, millions in some cases. And what a beautiful, but, but uh, important 
weight that gives us, right? We shouldn't take that lightly. I mean, that's a true privilege um, that we're able to, to share things that are meaningful. And, and I think one that. of the things I often say about that, people say, but what about the ones that don't like my interpretation? And knowing who your community is not for is that's just right. as important as knowing who it is for. And so when you actually put a line in the sand, take a stand for whatever it is you're talking about, you attract those that that resonates with and you repel those that it doesn't. And they're not your ideal customer. They're not your ideal community member. They're not your ideal client, whoever that is. Um, and so by the more you do that, the more you actually attract the right people and, and let go of those that were never the right people anyway. Totally. Yeah. It's like you have two masters, you have no master, right? So it's like, you, you do have an ideal customer. You do have the people that are going to like your product. Those are the ones you're talking to anyways. The rest is just noise. Hmm. So Chris, last question. And then I, well, second last question. So okay. if you were giving advice to a business or an organization or someone who had a cause who really wants to start a community, but they don't know where to start, what practical things would you suggest to help them get on that journey, that community journey? So I would say you need to be laser focused on what problem you're trying to solve. And you need to know more about it than most average people. Uh, you don't need to know everything about it, but you need to know more about it than the average person. And when you do, you're going to be considered an expert on that on that topic. And when you're laser focused and you're really clear on what your goals are and what problem you're trying to solve, and you've done enough of a deep dive that you know more than the average person, then you there's instant credibility that that comes with that. And I mean, so to me, that's always the that's always the starting place. Um, and then I think just being really honest about if you're willing to do what it's going to take for that thing to work. I mean, I think everyone loves the idea of running a business. Most people don't like the idea of what it really costs to run a business. And they love the idea. We, we often love the idea of something more than the actual actions of something. And I think we just have to be brutally honest with ourselves. Like, am, do I care enough about this that even if it costs me something, maybe something big, I'm still gonna go for it. And if the answer is no, that's probably not the right that's probably not the right thing for you. Wait, wait till the right thing comes along. So that's where I would start. Fantastic. Such great advice. We could talk all day, Chris, I know, yeah. <laughs> but I know it's evening time where you are. So just in wrapping up, uh, what's your favorite online community to be a part of and why? Oh, goodness. Not the one you've created. <laughs> yeah, my favorite online community. You know, it's kind of silly maybe to some people, but I'm doing some work right now around marketing and sales for a software company and a SaaS company. And we have a, we're all remote. We're based all over the U.S. and literally coast to coast. It's a small company though, about 15 people, only two years old. And we are really active on Slack every day like that's where we communicate and it is such a fun group like we've created these this little subculture you know when we get a new customer in our slack channel like it, it feeds from our stripe credit card processor and there's 
a certain number of fire emojis that come into the Slack channel, depending on how large the, the deal is. And, you know, there's where people are sharing when they go somewhere on the weekend or they go on a vacation, they're dropping pictures. And there's just this, it's really, we all just really enjoy one another. And like, there's no pretension and like, I mean, we're all getting stuff done. The company's having significant success. We will grow almost 200% in the last 12 months. I mean, it's, we're, we're not just like sitting around wasting our time. Like we're getting stuff done and the company is being very successful, but we also are just kind to each other. And we, we choose to enjoy one another and we choose to celebrate each other's victories and drop lots of fire emojis and tell lots of terrible puns. And it's just like, it's just, it's, it's a really authentic community of coworkers. Um, and I sincerely, like every time I see a Slack notification, I'm, I look forward to what's going to be on there, you know, like who said something and even sometimes they need stuff from me, but it doesn't feel annoying because this feels like my friends that we're, we're in, you know, we're, we're running a business together and we're, we're all working hard to, to serve our customers and, we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. And so there's just a synergy and a focus on mission. It doesn't mean everything's perfect or that we don't have lots of room to improve, but that's a really fun community for me right now because that culture is just really rich and, and feels really meaningful. Mm, I love that. Sounds like a great community to be a part of. And one, and I think that's, you know, it's such a great example of community doesn't have to be millions of people. It's, um, you know, often the most powerful ones are our smaller communities where, yeah, we really get a tangible benefit from that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris, for being with me today. Um, where's the one place, we'll include all of your links in the show notes, but where's the one place you'd like people to go to connect with you or to find you? Yeah, so all my social handles are at Disruption Chris, and if somebody wants to reach out, about working together on a project or speaking or something. I love to, when, when, when COVID relaxes, I love to come do some speaking in Australia. So I have a website, just meetchrisfield.com and I have a contact form on there that just comes straight to my email. So any of those are great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chris, for being here today. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for everything you do. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.